I want to start reading at verse 5, and we're going to read through till the end of the psalm, verse 9. Listen to this. Who can be compared with the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high? He stoops, everybody shouts, stoops to look down on heaven and on earth. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, even the princes of his own people. He gives the childless woman a family, making her a happy mother. Praise the Lord. Everybody shout praise the Lord. Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Lord, bless this teaching. Your name. Everybody shout life values. The life you want, the values you need. Uh, Here is the thesis of this entire series. It's really captured in this basic point. Your values shape your life. My values shape my life. So if you want to live your highest and best life, you've got to pay attention to your values. If you want to live a life that is meaningful and, and fulfilling, you have to pay attention to your values. If at the end of the day you want to have lived a life that is on record for having been a godly life, you have to pay attention to values that actually reflects the heart, the purpose, and the intentions of God, you've got to pay attention to your values. Tell the person next to you, pay attention to your values, your values. Now, those of you who've been with us for a while, you know this is not the first time that you've heard this. And as a matter of fact, I just want to keep returning to this uh, a couple of times a year because uh, it is just that important. And, and, And the more you hear it, the more you take this seriously. I have challenged... Uh, all of you to uh, that every person and I would argue every family ought to identify what are the three or four values that you're actually living your life by. Now this is common to corporations and to companies uh, and to nonprofit organizations. They're always talking about vision and values, uh, values that shape culture. But I want to suggest to you that this is equally important as individuals that you ought to have. What are your rock-solid values that you use to make decisions about what you will and will not do? Now, I've said this is common in organizations. Uh, As you might imagine, uh, I'm paying close attention to the uh, Golden State Warriors. (laughs) They have stressed me out. I'm just being honest. They stressed me out. <laughs> Barely pulled it out. Today at 1230. I know the time. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Pastor Monroe preaching the PDM preaching the 12. <laughs> Where are you, PDM? <laughs> but uh, I have been told that on any given day, if you walk into their Uh, to the room where they have their meetings at, they have four values that's written up on the board. It's the values that shape the culture of the organization. One is, value is uh, competition. Another value is compassion. 
Competition, meaning leave it all on the, on the court. Compassion, meaning care about others, not just yourself. Another value is mindfulness. Pay attention to details. Pay attention. In other words, don't turn the ball over 21 times in a game. <laughs> Some, somebody shout details. <laughs> and the fourth value is togetherness. You've got to be connected. Now, let me just be honest. Starting today, I want to make sure that they focus on three of those values. <laughs> Competition, <laughs> mindfulness, <laughs> togetherness. After they beat the Rockets, then they can be compassionate, all right? <laughs> Shout values. <clears throat> but it makes the point that values matter. They shape who we are. They shape who we seek to become. I have three or four values that really shape my personal life. One is humility. Uh, I try not to think of myself more than what I ought to think. Another is generosity. I really believe the word of God when it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Another is love. 1 Corinthians 13 concludes by saying faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The capacity to love. And then lastly is faithfulness. That's a conviction of minds. And what it means is at the end of the day, when I close my eyes on this side and open my eyes in, in uh, eternity and stand before my maker and my savior, I really want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. It's good to hear well done from my spouse and my kids, and it's good to hear that from my parents, but, but there's nothing like hearing it from the God who made us. Somebody shout praise God. Hallelujah. Well done, well done, well done, well done. Those are my values. What are your values? Do you know them? If I ask you right now to name the top three values that you make your decision, your life decisions by, can you name them? So I think about my father and my grandaunt, just think about their lives. They never actually articulated it, but I can pull out from my granddad, uh, my granduncle who raised me. His value, one of his leading value was honesty. He believed in just being honest. He was just, he would, in his words, he would tell it like it is. Didn't matter who you were, where you were, whatever. He just... You know, I'm going to tell you. That's what my daddy would say. All right? Uh, dependability, reliability. That was a big value for dad. I mean, uh, uh, and when he was going somewhere, he would get there uh, 30, 40 minutes early. Obviously, I didn't inherit that value from him, but... <laughs> Big value was education. She went back to school as, as, a, as an adult and earned her GED, and she drove that into me. Another big value was generosity. She always found a way to give to others. What are your values? Do you know them? Do you know them? 
Over the next seven weeks, I'm going to identify seven values. They, they are important to us because here at NBCC, we utilize these values to kind of shape community and our culture here. But I want to argue as it relates to your life that whatever values uh, you identify, and I hope that you will by the end of this series, figure out what are your top three or four values, that they're going to intersect with, 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 with these seven values that I'm going to work through over the course of the next seven weeks in order for you to have the life you want. I'm arguing these are the values that you need. The first value is simple. Everybody matters. What's it say for me? Say everybody matters. Tell the person next to you, that includes me. I just want to let you know. Come on, just tell me. <laughs> Whatever distinctions you have, everybody matters. Now, this value is grounded in who we know God to be. This value is grounded in how God has revealed himself in the world. Now, let me just say one other thing, because uh, I don't want to forget this. If you're trying to figure out what are your values in your life that you're currently living your life by, let me give you some value indicators real quickly. Ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one, where do I spend and invest my money? Somebody shout, check your wallet, check your wallet. <laughs> Number two, where do I spend and invest my time? Somebody check, somebody shout, check my calendar. Number three, who are the people that I look up to and admire and why? Because as you figure out the people that you look up to and admire, your heroes and heroines, and if you ask the question why, you'll begin to, there's a reason why you admire them. So those things get you started on trying to figure out what are your current values. All right, get back to this point. Shout, everybody matters. It's grounded in who God is and who God reveals himself to be. It's, 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 it's the point of Easter. As I said yesterday in another occasion, we think of Easter as resurrection. But Easter is really about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. He dies on the cross, not for just white people or black people or or Republicans, or Democrats, or, 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 or the rural folk, or the urban folk, or whoever you name. He died on the cross for everybody. Shout everybody. Everybody. Folk you love, folk you don't like. He died for them. This notion that everybody matters is grounded in who we know God to be. I'll look at this psalm. This is one of my favorite psalms, and I'm going to dance back and forth between this and New Testament. The first point that this psalmist makes is that the God of Israel's history, that's why he refers to him as the Lord God. Everybody shout, the Lord our God. Say, the Lord our God. The God of their history, the God who's been involved in the narrative of their lives, that, that this is the one true God, and that that God is Worthy to be praised by everyone. Notice how he says in Psalms, in the first four verses. Let's put the first four verses up here. Here's what he says. 
He says, praise the Lord. Come on, shout, praise the Lord. He says, yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord, Yahweh. That's, that's, that's the translation. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Come on, next. Everywhere, shout everywhere. From the east to the west, praise the name of the Lord. For the Lord is high above all of the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. And what he's saying is, from the, from the as far as you can go in the east to as far as you can go in the west, as high as you can go, every nation, every expression of creation needs to give God praise. All right. Somebody asks him, shout, why? Then the rest of the psalm begins to lay it out. Number one, we ought to give God praise because of his position. Verse 4 ends by talking about how God is high above the heavens. That's, that's the, the heavens and the earth. That's, that's, that's all of creation. That's the universe and all of his galaxies that he's high and above. He's the sovereign king. Verse 5 uh, points out that he's enthroned on his, he sits on a throne. He's a sovereign king of all creation. So, so you ought to praise him just because of his position. Shout because of his position. But the psalmist also says, you and I, we ought to praise him because of how he loves. That's what he's saying. It's pretty remarkable. He makes this contrast that God is this great sovereign king. But it's how he uses his power and his mercy to love that the psalmist is really talking about. And so, verse uh, 5, he says, who, 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 the NIV says, who's like the Lord our God? The, this verse here, this verse in New Living Translation in verse 5 uh, says, says, who can be compared with the Lord our God? who is enthroned on high. And, and, and if you read the text, what it really suggests is, you, it, the, the, the suggestion of the scholars is that, uh, that, that initially the thought really most runs from verse 5, skips 6, and goes to verse 7. It is, who can be compared to the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? And in verse 7 it says, who, who, who lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. See, this is a straight line. He who is enthroned, who can compare? Because he lifts the poor and raises the needy. But, but the, 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 in between, they put in a kind of a parenthesis. It's like, the, the, here's how to better translate it. Who can compare to the Lord our God, who, by the way, everybody shout, by the way, happens to be enthroned on high, come on now, uh, uh, high in the heavens, and who stoops to look down on heaven and on earth. Shout, by the way. Well, now we see this because whenever we talk about God as Christians, we understand that we are really reflecting on not just God in the Jewish context, but how he's revealed himself in his son Jesus. And so in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 19, we'll put it up here. Watch this. Watch the similarity of this language. 
I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power. Here it is a week after Resurrection Sunday that raised Christ, shall raise Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor. Come on now. At God's right hand in the heavenly realms, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, here's the point. Here's the story. The point is, Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So the love, the way God loves, becomes concrete in how Jesus loved. The statement is, everybody matters. Story. I've told this story before. It's one of my favorites. So, as my mentor used to say, if it was good the first time, it'd be better the second time or the third time. Because I like this story. The story goes it's between a fellow named John. John was a missionary who worked in an urban mission setting that cared for the homeless and the drug addicted and, and those who were struggling. And John went out one day and he's in the streets of of New York and he found a fella who had been sleeping on the bench all night long. He woke him up and took him back to the mission site. Cleaned him up, gave him a clean set of clothes, got him into the dining room and fed him, got him into a counseling setting so he could begin to work on his addiction. The next morning, the guy's name was Pete. Pete was gone. A couple of days later, John is walking down the same street in New York. He looks on the, on, the, on the bench, and there he is, Pete, drugged out, lying in his own waist. John wakes him up, picks him up, takes him back to the mission, goes to the same thing, cleans him up, feeds him, gets him some help for his addiction, the next couple of days, Pete's gone again. Somebody shout, gone again. Anybody who's ever dealt with addictions, you know how this story goes. About a week or two later, John is walking down the same street and he sees Pete. Pete this time is the same way, laying in his own waist and barely conscious. John picks him up, takes him back, goes through the same routine, cleans him up, feeds him, gives him a counseling. This time, after about two or three days, Pete stays there and, and finds his way into a chapel meeting, kind of like this on a Sunday morning. Preacher preaches about Jesus and his love. Then at the end of it, he opens what we used to call in the church, open the doors of invitation. And he said, if you can believe in Jesus and his love, I want you to come forward. Pete was sitting in the back. He raised his hand. Hadn't been in the church and he didn't know how that was good. He just raised his hand. He said, excuse me. The pastor said, yes. He said, this is Jesus. He said, I don't know anything about him. He said, but... Uh, is he anything like John? 
You get it? John, who found me lying in my own stuff and kept coming and picking me up and bringing me back. John, who kept cleaning me up and feeding me and, and didn't judge me because John didn't understand my history, the layers of my life, didn't understand. All he saw was this, this fellow who was an addict lying and he just keeps, he just keeps, he just keeps, just what is it? Oh, yes, loving me. And Pete says, if John, I don't know about Jesus, but if Jesus is anything like John, I'll trust him. That's the point, Jesus followers. God loves everybody, and Jesus is the manifestation of God's love for everybody. And Jesus followers, we ought to be the ones who makes Jesus' love visible. We ought to have people saying in our homes and on our jobs and up and down the streets in our neighborhood, if Jesus is anything like her or him or them, I will trust him. Because of the way you love. Well, let's go through these points real quick. So the first thing is, the psalmist says that uh, God can be compared to no one. But the way he loves ought to be imitated by everyone. That's the first point. Second point, how does God love? Boy, y'all ask good questions. You look at the psalmist in verse, in, verse, in verse 6. Number one, God is intentional in his love. Shout intentional. Okay, here, here's what the psalmist says. psalmist says he's enthroned on high. He's above all creation. Then verse 6. But he stoops. Everybody shout stoops. Oh, I like that. I just love that word, y'all. It, it is as though God is, is above everything. One uh, 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 way of translating the word is he humbles himself. Uh, another way to say he, he, he condescends is, is another way, but, but not in the negative sense, but more in this positive sense captured in this word that he, 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 he stoops. He, he bends over, come on now, and looks down on heaven and looks down on earth. And, and you would say, oh, well, that's how powerful people do, right? They, they look down, but, 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 that, but keep reading. He looks down on heaven and looks down on earth. Watch this. And he looks past the earthly political powers. He looks past the religious leaders. He sees them, but he looks past the cultural shapers and the artists and the craft people. He sees them, but he looks past the economic folk, the merchants and the business people. He looks past the farmers. He sees them, but he, he looks past all of them. Come on now. And he keeps looking because he goes right down to the bottom and he gets to where he sees, watch it, the poor in the dust and the needy living in the garbage dump. And he didn't do it by accident. It wasn't like he was looking for something else. And he said, oh. He did it with intentionality. 
All right. What does that mean? That means God it's part of his program. His, his agenda should be part of the agenda of the church, part of the agenda of every believer. That God sees, he pays attention to the invisible, the undervalued, those who are struggling with oppression, and by the way, all sinners. That includes all of us. Come on, tell the person next to you, that's me, that's me, that's me. All right, let me ask you this question. Is it part of your intention to see the invisible people? Do you make that part of your, your day? To pay attention to those who are undervalued? Or are you just so busy going from home to work, from from work to your next event that you just, just, just walk past the homeless, just, just overlook the janitor, just, just get your food from the waiter, never ask for their name, you just, just pass by. Which one are you? I was talking to some people the other day and they said that there's some folk who work Google and Apple and uh, Lincoln, all these folk, all these companies, I'm not picking on anyone. That when they got together, they started talking. They said, as great as these companies are, oftentimes, not all, but oftentimes, many of the high folk, the executives, the people who were talking, they were the janitors. They were the cashiers. They were the servants, you know, the folk who fix your food. You go in there, they got all that, and they, they, they cook the food. They pick up the plates and clean them up after you go. Those of y'all who worked in, you know, those people. Who get the clothes because you can get your clothes washed there and all that. These people there, those people. And those folk got the talking. And they said, so often they feel invisible to the high-up folk. Because some of them been coming to the cafeteria for five years and they've never asked the person who they hand the plate to, what's your name? You can throw receptionists into that as well, you know. Are you like that? Uh, there's another group that says, no, it's not just y'all. It's all minimum wage workers. That, 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 that if I make... A six-figure salary, and I walk in the Burger King. I, 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 it's, it's not true about everybody. Don't, don't. Get it. But there are a lot of people who see a minimum wage worker actually don't see them. Could that be you? When is the last time you've asked a lady who brought you some food in a restaurant, or the person who handed you something at McDonald's? What's your name? You tell me a little bit just where are you from? Now, if it's you, I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I am trying to convict you. <laughs> so that the next time you think about this, because you are a Jesus follower, and you should be intentional about seeing the invaluable, those who are quote unquote seen as invaluable and invisible. You should. Oh, let me talk to those of you who are minimum wage workers and who are the janitors and, and, 
and who clean the plates. Check your mentality. Because it's also true that sometimes you adopt the way other folks see you as the way you see yourself. And rather than, watch this, rather than forming community and together elevating those who work with you, you overlook those who work with you, always trying to reach for somewhere higher. But the text says, God stoops. Ask the person next to you, when is the last time you stooped? He's intentional. It's a part of his daily itinerary. Good God Almighty. Shout intentional. Intentional. Secondly, the text reveals for us that God's love is revealed, watch this, as action and not simply emotions. Shout action. Oh, this go. Listen, look at the words. Look at the action. He stoops. Action. He lifts. Action. He sits with the princes. Come on now. Stoops, lifts, sits. God doesn't speak in the text. He does not point to himself. But somebody, come on now, who has an experience said, let me point to God. Look, I know he's a God of love because I see him moving. He's stooping, lifting, sitting. All right, now here's, I got this. I'm going to help somebody right here. Tell the person next to you, wake up, he's going to help you right now. I got to get where y'all live. I'm trying to get to where y'all live. Trying to get to where you live. There was a t-shirt the other day. Somebody told me about this. And I found it online. And I added something to it. And if y'all take this and read, I want my commission. Anyway. <laughs> it's all it's out the line. It's a, they're quoting Jesus. Who's quoting the Torah. Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your what? Neighbor, come on, say it loud. You know it. Come on, say it. As your writes this. And then the t-shirt says, love your neighbor. Then they give you a list. Love your homeless neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, your black, your white neighbor, your gay, your transgender, your lesbian neighbor, your immigrant neighbor, your Jewish neighbor, your Christian neighbor, your atheist neighbor, love your neighbor, your addicted neighbor, watch this, your racist and white nationalist neighbor, your Democrat neighbor, your Republican neighbor, come on now, love your rich neighbor, your poor neighbor, love your... Wait a moment, I just messed up somebody. So, oh, wait a moment. Somebody say, I'm not Jesus. I hear you. <laughs> what, what, what are you trying to say? You say, but Pastor, I don't know. How, uh, uh, how do I do that? How, how do I love the racists? Huh? Huh? I, I didn't say like them. God said what? Love. And Dr. King, you say love is greater than like. It's, it's, it's redemptive. Well, let's put a pen down. Come back to that. Some of you are thinking, uh, uh, I'm having trouble loving folk in my family. 
Pastor, what are you saying? I got an addicted sibling that if I let her, this is what some of y'all thinking, if I let her live, come and spend the night with me in the morning, she done robbed me blind. What are you saying? Let her come live with me. In the name of love, Pastor, come on, talk to me now. Yeah, I, somebody else say, I've got, a, I, 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 I've got a dear friend. If I give them money, they will go crack out. Are you saying, I suggest in the name of love, give them money? I like how you ask your questions. Some of y'all are politically. I told you last week, let's not just celebrate his resurrection, but let's follow him and build bridges of love and respect between Republicans and Democrats. Well, that, that sounds eloquent. But when you get to talking, come on now, and you get so focused on your political position, you're so convicted that, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the deficit is, is blowing up. And there's all these entitlement programs. And you can't, and the folk on the other side, you just can't, you just don't like them. Or you're on the other side, and you're convinced that, that the people who are in power, they don't care nothing about the marginalized and, and the poor and the suffering and the struggling. And you know what? And you don't like them. Well, how do I love I'm going to give you two words that's going to open it up for you. Here's how you love. The first word is kindness. Somebody shout kindness. Kindness. Watch this. The second word is respect. Shout respect. When God stoops, he is illustrating the highest degree of kindness. As he reaches the poor and raises uh, uh, those who are the needed, it's kindness. But he's also demonstrating respect for them. All right, I just helped you, didn't I? Because you can be kind and still draw boundaries. You can be kind and still be disciplined. You can be kind and still hold your conviction. You can be kind. Come on now. Now, don't confuse kindness with nice. I told a story the other day. I went to see my mentor for the very first time, and I walked in his office, and I had on two mismatched shoes, <laughs> black one and a brown one. Now, if you see me with mismatched shoes, if you want to be nice, you pretend you don't see them. <laughs> you just hug me and let me come on up here. And here I'm preaching. And y'all get distracted looking at my mismatches. <laughs> but if you want to be kind, you tell me the truth. Paul says, speak the truth in love. You say, Pastor, I love you. You look, you know, you GQ today, but... Do you know your shoes are mismatched? Come on, we got folk in our family who wear mismatched shoes. Come on now, ideologically, whatever the case might be, it's all right to speak the truth. But be kind. Don't cuss them out. Don't demonize them because they have a different political position than you. Respect the fact that they come with a different story. You can be kind and you can respect 
the Muslim, the gay, come on, the rich, the poor. In this church, we don't all agree theologically, but if you're here, you better believe it that I'm expecting you to be kind to everyone that walks through these doors and respect them, respect them. That's what makes us unique. Jesus challenges us with that mission. Let me get to hustle. My God. Shout intentional. Shout action. It's not about how you feel. It's the action of kindness and respect. And then shout God love lifts. You know what I'm saying? Lifts, raises, and redeems. Look at, look, at, look at what happens in Jesus in uh, Ephesians 2. Put Ephesians 2 up there if you got that. But God is so rich in mercy and he's loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, I'm talking to sinners, all of us, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by grace that you and I have been saved. Watch this. For he raised us, us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. When, when you love like God, you're lifting people, you're raising people, you're helping to lead them towards redemption. And then lastly, God's love, watch this, reveals value. Now you can misread this text. It's verse uh, 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 8. It says... He takes those that was in the garbage dump and the dust. He places them among princes. For years, here's how I used to translate the text. I used to say what that meant was he elevated us. That's not the point. That's not what he's saying. There is an elevation, but it's deeper than that. Here's the point. When God saw the folk in the garbage dump and in the dust, it's not that he made them princes. The text doesn't say he made them princes. The text says he lifts them among the princes. What is he suggesting? That when God saw them in the garbage dump and in the dust, he saw princes. If you heard that, you'd be shouting all over the place because you, you obviously didn't hear it. You didn't hear uh, uh, maybe that, 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 That's why Jesus dies for the ungodly. Come on now. Because when he sees us, he doesn't just see our sin. He doesn't just see what makes us broken. He doesn't just see what's wrong with us. But he sees the royal impression that comes with being a part of his creation that has the breath that he gives us flowing through our body. As a matter of fact, let me just put it like this. God does not make trash. People make trash. God doesn't make trash. God makes royalty. That's why Jesus died for you. That's why he calls us to treat people with respect and kindness. Don't treat anybody like they're trash. 
Because the folk in the trash are princes. Oh, let me tell you. Let me end this thing. I'm through. I'm out of time. Put it on here what it doesn't mean. Everybody matters does not mean. Put them all up here real quick so I can give the invitation. Everybody matters does not mean. Watch this. Doesn't mean that everybody's right. I already told you about that. Come on now. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory. Uh, It does not mean that actions don't have consequences. Come on now. (laughs) The wages of sin is death. That's real. Does not mean that we should be codependent. Even God turned some people over in Romans 1 to their own will because he's not codependent. But what it means that everybody matters is that you see people with the eyes of God and whoever you see, you see their value and you see that they are, and you treat them like they are valuable. And everybody said, amen. Amen. And amen. Give God a hand, praise.